Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back, beautiful mamas. A lot of my work and what I share with mamas is based on the idea of the space holder. When we really look at this time in our life, one of the key roles we play is of the space holder. This refers to that role that I know you know so well. You hold the space for your children, for your partner for your friends, for your parents, for your colleagues, for so many people. It's like you're at the centre of it all. And I'm sure you've also noticed that if you're not okay, somehow that seems to trickle out to everyone else. We are in the centre. We hold space for so many people. But this role comes with great responsibility. Sometimes it feels like a heavy burden to be the one that organises so much, to hold the space for so many. That's why when I read an article online by a really amazing coach, speaker, writer by the name of Heather Plett, I had to reach out to her and invite her into this space. Heather is a holding space coach and facilitator. How perfect is that? And in this interview, she not only talks about our role as space holder and what it really means, and by the way, it's very different to what you probably think, but also what happens when we're unable to be the space holder. What happens when we're too drained, we're too empty, we're too exhausted to hold that space. This interview is one of my most favourite so far because it gives you an insight into what I really hope you're beginning to understand. That part of your magnificent role right now is to be a space holder for so many, but the very first thing we have to do as that space holder is look after ourselves. Enjoy. This is the Happy Mama Movement, a weekly podcast dedicated to changing the conversation about what it means to be a mother and a woman in this day and age. I'm Amy Taylor-Cabaz, author, mama, and former journalist. After spending 15 years chasing news and burning myself out trying to be superwoman, I realized that I was chasing a dream that no longer served me. And since then, 
have dedicated myself to understanding the transition that we go through as women when our whole identity shifts with motherhood. Every week, I will bring you the very best insights and inspiration I can find to help us all change the way we feel about this time in our lives and create a movement that allows us to honour motherhood differently. Heather, thank you so much for joining the Happy Mama Movement podcast. Thanks for having me. As I was sharing in the introduction, the idea of being a space holder is something that I've been talking to mamas about and researching for myself for many years now. It's a concept that I really love because I think sometimes without even realising, it is what we do for our children, for our partners, if we have one for so many people in our lives. And it comes with a lot of responsibility. It comes with... um, It can be something that feels quite heavy if we're not aware of being the space holder and what it really means. So I love your work around this area. Thank you for what you do. Thank you. Let's start first with the idea of a space holder. What is your definition of it? Well, I define uh, holding space as the act that we do when we are... um, supporting another person or ourselves, because I do talk about holding space for ourselves as well. And it's it's a particular kind of support in which we um, are very intentional about withholding our control or desire for control rather, and withholding our judgment and not being too attached to the outcome. So it's, it's support and... Um, Being present, it's really about presence in another person's life when they're going through something and allowing them to experience it fully and be sovereign in that moment without us needing to uh, direct the moment or change the moment or impose our own ideas or, or, um, you know, direction into that moment. And so is it an emotional role? Do we come to this role in our lives as a emotional response? How would you describe that? Um, that's a good question. I don't think we can ever take our emotions fully out of it, uh, but it's not in emotional in terms of us um, imposing too much of our emotional journey on that other person. That's that's the challenge with this work is it can feel like it's an emotionally detached kind of way of showing up. Like if I'm holding space for a client, for example, in my coaching work, I'm kind of intentional about not bringing too much of my emotions into it so that their emotions are centered in that moment. But that doesn't mean that I'm not having those emotions or it doesn't mean that I'm not going to be fully present in uh, holding space for their emotions because I've become this kind of detached robotic person. So yes, it is emotional, but it's also being intentional about our own emotions not getting in the way. Yes. And the analogy that you use there about this being a space holder for your clients seems quite obvious how you uh, stay detached from it so they can experience their own emotions. But when it comes to our kids and people that we love, that, sorry, there was a crack on the line there. I'll just repeat that bit. And the people that we love, that detachment is really hard. 
Yes, absolutely. One of the things that I say in this work, and I do a lot of teaching in this regard, is that uh, the hardest people to hold space for are those that we're closest to. And that's because the, the more we are impacted by the outcome of their choices or their uh, their journey, the more we are going to want to control that outcome. So for example, if I'm holding space for a partner or somebody who um, you know, I live with and they're trying to make a decision about changing a job or quitting a job, well, I'm impacted by the outcome of their decision because it may mean a reduced income for our household. And so then I, my anxiety comes into it. My own emotions come into it. So it's harder for me to detach and really hold space for them. So one of the things I say is to really pay attention to, am I overly attached to the outcome? And if so, perhaps the best thing is to offer that person uh, support and finding somebody else that can hold space in a more, um, you know, whole, wholesome and, and somewhat detached way so that it's not... It's not complicated by, by our own desires. Mm, that's interesting. So it's not about always holding yourself back or trying to contain your own emotions. Sometimes in some relationships, being a space holder is quite difficult. Is that what you're saying? And so maybe we aren't the right person for that role. Absolutely. Often that's the case that, that it's best to, and I use the example, I have, I have three daughters who are now, uh, mostly grown, they still live with me, but they um, they make their own choices, and you know they have their own relationships with their health professionals and things like that. And so, one of the things that I've done with one particular daughter who's had some mental health issues is make sure that she has a good therapist because there are things that she has to wrestle with that I am too attached to it's when it comes to her mental health. I get worried about her or, I, you know, I want to make decisions for her. But if she can go and see uh, somebody who's a professional, who's a little bit more detached from it, who can hold space for her more successfully than I can, then she is well supported. I'm still supporting her, but I'm allowing someone else to do the holding space piece of that. Mm, that's a really great example. In a moment, I'd love to talk to you about how we look after ourselves as space holders, because I see this mostly in the mummers that I work with is almost like space holder burnout, <laughs> space holder fatigue. And I'd love to ask you about that in a moment. But first, perhaps it's best for, for us to look at what is the opposite of being a space holder? Because you recently wrote a beautiful article about this, about the opposite of when we're not in that beautiful aligned space holder role, what we tend to do instead. And that article was shared within a group of mamas doing my program and it stimulated a really wonderful conversation amongst all of us around space holder and how we can do it and what happens when we don't do it. Um, so can you explain that to us, please? Sure. I think the article that you're referring to, I refer, I, I use the term emotional colonization. Yes. I'm, I'm, I don't use that all the time. I'm now uh, been using a term hijacking space, which is a similar concept, but I've just adjusted some of my language. And uh, what I think that is, is really, um, you know, the idea of colonization is to control and to uh, direct the outcome of something. And, and also, it, there's a real selfishness to it when you colonize somebody else. You're, 
you're reaping the re- the reward for it, or you're taking the resources from them, etc., or stripping them of their resources. Um, same thing for hijacking space. The other term that I've started to use. It's really about um, putting yourself at the center of that situation instead of putting that other person at the center. So if I if and this happens for many reasons. It's very often not out of ill will that we have towards that other person, but it's out of our own um, you know, trauma triggers. Maybe we're being triggered into you know, a reactionary mode where we just get kind of panicky and we need to control the situation. And you know, in doing that, we kind of plow over the other person and disregard their feelings because ours have become so heightened and our nervous system might be flooded or something like that. So it's not something that, um, I don't want to give the impression that it's the kind of thing evil people do. It's just what every one of us does all the time when, when there's a moment where, you know, one of our children comes to us and they're really distressed about a situation at school. Well, we feel this need to fix the situation. So we're going to give them good advice and we're going to send them to school with, you know, with a plan that we think is a good way to solve this. Well, we haven't really paused and heard what they're saying or maybe, you know, just allowed them to vent about the situation. We're going quickly to fix it mode because we think that's the role a parent is supposed to have. And so we have some of our own baggage around that. So it's um, it's really something we have to pay attention to in ourselves. And, and that's one of the reasons I spend a lot of time talking about how to hold space for ourselves first so that we can not get tri- tripped over, or, sorry, get trapped in our own baggage or our own old stories around it. Yes, I really resonated with with what you just said. Um, I know with one of my own children as she enters the tween years and all of the beginnings of self-doubt and comparison is starting to come out, it has triggered a lot of old wounds in me of that time in my life. And it is as you said, a very conscious decision to not step into you have to believe in yourself, don't listen to them, this is what this is like, go in and say this, you know, to go into that fixing mode and instead just stand back and hold the space for her. It is a very confronting thing as a parent to see your child beginning to battle with things that you've been through and not go into that mode. Yeah, I I think when it comes to our children, we feel things that they're experiencing almost as deeply as if we were experiencing it ourselves. So the minute, uh, you know, one of our children gets rejected on the schoolyard, well, we are sent back to our own rejection in our life. And, you know, and, and suddenly we, as the parent, we have to protect this child from this harsh situation. And we jump into, well, we've got to fix it. We've got to protect them. We can't let them go through the pain that we went through. Well, unfortunately, it's not easing the pain by trying to fix it. You're really what we're doing then is dismissing that child and not allowing them to feel the the depth of the pain they need to feel in order to process that and and heal it in themselves. Mm. So, how do we hold the space for ourselves? As you said, this is almost the most important thing to focus on so we can be a space holder for others. How do we do this for ourselves first? Well, we really have to pay attention to um, our own personal needs, our own um, 
boundaries. We have to establish, you know, healthy boundaries so that we protect ourselves. We have to look after our unmet needs. If we have some really deep wounding as children, for example, we have to, you know, do the healing that that takes to really, um, you know, release it so that we don't project it onto our children, etc. So it's really about a personal growth, a commitment to a personal growth journey that allows us to be as whole as we can be in, uh, so that we can be of better service to other people. So it's a process. It's learning to recognize your triggers. It's learning to hit the pause button when you're overwhelmed. And one of the best phrases that I've adopted and that I, I teach people to try to use is, is just simply, I'm at capacity. So recognizing when am I at that place where I'm nearly burnt out and because I'm getting close to burnt out, I'm going to start projecting things on other people. I'm going to hurt other people out of my own woundedness. So recognizing the signals that are, you know, that our nervous system is getting flooded, that we're getting overwhelmed, overworked, uh, so that we learn how to hit the pause button, step away uh, and not be a person who wounds other people because of it. Oh, that's really interesting. It makes obvious sense to me, but I don't think I've ever heard the correlation so clearly that when we're at capacity, we start to project things onto other people. Wow, that is so true. That is, exact, that is exactly what we do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And why is that? You mentioned something about the flooding of the nervous system. Is that because our brain, our wiring just goes into blaming others when we can't hold space for ourselves? I think so. I think when we, you know, and if you start to study brain science, for example, the amygdala is is the part of the brain that tells us that we're at risk. And it's the oldest part of our brain that tells us, you know, we have to flee or we have to fight. It's the fight, flight, freeze mechanism. And that part of the brain is not a very, um, you know, wise part of the brain. It's a reactive part of the brain. And it's especially reactive if we have pain that we have not addressed or we haven't healed or we haven't even recognized in us. So it might be traumatized and, you know, in us. And then trauma is something that resides in our body even before we can understand it in our brains. So learning to understand that so that we can heal it so that when our nervous system gets flooded and our amygdala feels this real urgent need to react we can do the things we have to learn some practices and healthy practices that allow us to shift that into a more um, the hippocampus or the other parts of the brain that have more capacity for rational thought or, you know, pausing and reflecting before uh, responding. It's really, yeah, it's about being good to our bodies. It's about learning our body signals. It's about, getting enough rest, all of those things help us to heal that so that we don't, um, we don't end up in that flooded state where our nervous system can't handle all that it has to process. Wow, that's a really great way to look at it. And I guess when you look at women in early motherhood, we often are in that flooded state. And so the, uh, the self-care which is not a great word because I think many people nowadays think self-care is a bath and a pedicure, but deep self-care 
is that's why it's so important for mamas because we we literally can't be the space holder we need to be for our family and for ourselves when we're in that flooded state. Absolutely. And I think that it has to become more okay to say that out loud, even to our kids sometimes. And it's hard when your children are really small, but right now when my kids have grown, I try to let them know when I'm at capacity. Like sometimes they'll, you know, I'll be uh, really reactive and I'll be, and I'll recognize, oh shoot, you know, I've, I've reacted to something they've said and I've lashed out at them in anger or frustration. And suddenly I realize it's because I am in that overwhelmed state. But if I can recognize that in myself in a way that I can communicate it to them in a meaningful way and just let them know, you know what, I've got a lot going on right now and I I don't mean to hurt you, but there's something going on in my brain that's not allowing me to function at full capacity right now. So, you know, can we put a pause on this conversation or can I come back to you after I've spend a bit of time by myself, you know, it's giving mommy a time out sometimes too, to, 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 to get back into that state where we can hear them more clearly and from a less triggered place. Yes, absolutely. And I think even when they're little, they might not understand everything you're saying, but they, it's really important to lay that groundwork of explaining that you're not a, a robot. You're not capable to do everything all of the time to have that conversation right from the beginning. But what I also hear, Heather, in the way that you're speaking about this is that if we begin to understand that our body, our brain, our reactions cannot handle it, when we're at capacity, we can't be the graceful space holder we want to be. When we're at that capacity, it's almost like we can forgive ourselves a little bit for those moments of anger or backlash or um, reaction. So often I see women judge themselves for, I should have done that better. I wish I hadn't yelled. But if we can almost take a step back and look at it and realize that it was because we were at capacity, we reacted that way, then maybe we wouldn't judge ourselves so harshly. What do you think? Uh, Absolutely. And and not only that, but I think we need to recognize that that's good modeling for our kids too, that if they see us... You know, if we communicate mums at capacity right now and, and is working really hard not to hurt your feelings, but that, you know, but I'm a little overwhelmed, then they're going to recognize, oh, you know what, I can, I can admit that as well. I can say that out loud. I can maybe notice when I'm feeling a little freaked out and overwhelmed. And I can say that to mom because she's given me language for it. And, and she's going to forgive me when I, when I mess up because she recognizes in herself that, that this is what leads to unhealthy actions. And so it's, it's much better modeling to let our kids know that we, are, have these, we have these challenges as well so that they can forgive it in themselves and not uh, get into this kind of perfectionism mode that if I'm not handling this well, if I if I do have a temper tantrum or something like that, mom's going to disapprove of me. But no, we understand that these things happen and, and kids are allowed to and moms are allowed to and, and we can forgive ourselves and forgive each other. Mm, I love that. I couldn't agree more. So just finally, Heather, I, I try and talk to mamas when I speak with them and interview them and, and have them in my programs about really realizing how much they are the space holder for so many people in their lives and how important this is. 
as being the space holder, but also how important it is for you to look after yourself so you can be the space holder that you need to be. I think as women particularly, we don't really see all that we do. We don't see how often we are holding space for our colleagues, our neighbours, our sisters, our parents, our kids, our partner, and that if we viewed this role differently, we would start to realise how important it is. I just would love to hear your thoughts on that to really, I guess, remind everyone listening of how profound a role this is that we play every day. Yes, one of the terms that I've adopted, and this isn't my term, but you can find other people writing about it, is the concept of emotional labor, that we have totally undervalued this emotional labor. Like we're allowed to get exhausted if we do heavy, you know, physical labor, if we've been working in the yard all day, cleaning up the, you know, mowing the grass, cleaning up the garden, whatever, then we recognize that we're physically exhausted. But we also need the same kinds of ways of measuring our emotional labor. And emotional labor is just, you know, our child comes home from school really distraught and we just sit and listen to them or they have a meltdown because of, you know, they had a hard time dealing with a a situation with a friend, or perhaps we're raising children with special needs, if whether it's, there's a disability or they're, they're on the autism spectrum or something like that. Well, every single time we hold space for them, we're putting in emotional labor. And that's exhausting. I can tell you as somebody who does this for a living for a lot of people, that is completely exhausting work. And that means that we need extra intention around self-care and about replenishing our own resources so that we can be present. So whatever it takes, I think we need to change the conversation around this so that people do recognize, yes, if you're listening to your mother on the phone for half an hour talking about her problems and then you're supporting your child when they're frustrated with their homework and then you're listening to your partner, well, that's a whole lot of emotional labor you've just put in on everybody else's behalf. And that is going to drain you. And, and so you need to figure out how to um, replenish your store of resources. Mm. Wow, I love that. Yes, I've heard of the term emotional labor in the work that I'm doing around matrescence, the study of what happens to a woman and her identity in motherhood. And I love the way that you've brought that in here. Thank you so much. What a beautiful and empowering conversation today, Heather. Thank you. You're very welcome. Okay, mamas, how amazing was that? That is exactly what I want this podcast to be all about. Conversations about who we are, what we do, and how we can do it better without burning out or losing ourselves. I hope that this has really inspired you to look at what you do each day differently and to prioritise things differently. To look into Heather's amazing work, please go to heatherplett, that's P-L-E-T-T dot com. And please share this podcast with your mamas, the mamas around you, your friends and your sisters, so we can continue this beautiful conversation. Until next week, Satnam.